0: As we pray to hear God's word, let's first pause for a prayer for illumination. God, you created us for joyful union with you and to enjoy you forever. I pray that you awaken in us a hunger to learn more of who you are and who you invite us to be through your son, Jesus Christ. As we open your word, may your, rule, may your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and in the glory, the beauty, the truth, and grace of Jesus Christ, our single concern, in whose name we pray. Amen. So our first scripture passage uh, for today comes from Matthew chapter 22, um, quite far along in the story of Jesus' ministry to this point. And up to this point, Jesus has been going from city to city to surrounding towns throughout the countryside far and wide in order to share his message with everyone who would listen. God favors you, he was saying. Come and follow me and learn what that means. He shared this good news with God's people, the Jewish people but also shared it so that others might listen in and hear as well. So as Jesus said, he said, "Gather." He said, my job is to go to all the sheep of Israel, even to those far away, and gather them in. So over the years, Jesus gathered quite a following of, of righteous and blameless people and good people who longed for God but also a gathering of of, of ragamuffins mixed into that blameless group of people, the good and the bad together. And all those people found acceptance and healing and life-giving instruction from Jesus. In addition to this, over the years he also acquired more and more resistance from the religious leaders who saw Jesus' ministry as a threat. And so they perpetually tried to trick or thwart or get rid of him. Even so, Jesus was resolved, and he eventually set his sights on Jerusalem, the holy city, the capital city which Jews would stream to as a spiritual center. Today we're going to read a passage from chapter 22, but in the chapter beforehand is chapter 21, and Jesus makes this incredible entrance into the holy city called the triumphal entry, at the time near Passover, which, for the Jews, is, is, is like their Easter, celebrating the salvation that God had brought to them. Jews would stream from all over for this festival. And so as Jesus enters into this city, his fame gets him this welcome that a king would get after coming home from years of war. As the crowds cheer and wave their palm branches, the religious leaders stew in their resentment for him. And it, it probably didn't help either that after entering in the city, Jesus marched right up to the temple into the arena of the religious leaders to clear everybody out because, because he saw them taking advantage of the people and leading them away from rather than toward God. And if that wasn't enough, he began warning people that the teaching of the religious leaders would only bring destruction. And so he began offering up this counter-vision of what God's kingdom actually brought. One of those visions that he held out to people was, was in a parable. A parable is a story, and it's a story that Jesus uses in his ministry and teaching in order to invite reflection and stir thought in people. Parables typically had the effect, uh, typically for the religious leaders, of making people quite angry. And yet for some it offered a word of hope. And so our story in chapter 22 is a parable Jesus tells about a king who throws a wedding feast for a son. And in trueness to form, I believe Jesus told the parable to, to warn people to take seriously what he was saying and his invitation to follow him. I believe it was something to challenge the religious leaders, but most of all, I believe that he tells this story to offer a word of hope from God to all the people who were there that day. So let's listen to this
1: Matthew chapter 22, verse 1 through 14. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited are not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe, and said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to, his, to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen.
0: So that was an action-packed story and sequence. So allow me just to recap really quick. There's this king who decides to throw a feast for his son sends out the save the dates and also the invitations and people, uh, you know, send them back in like kind, unlike some people do. <sighs> I always end up texting. <laughs> Horrible. However, the farmer, upon receiving a second invitation and the servants who come to call these people, the farmer goes back to this field, the businessman back to his work, and for some reason the rest of the guests kill the messengers. And because of this act of insurrection and disrespect, the king sends out soldiers to destroy people and the murderers and, and burn their city. The servants, then, that are left in the king's guard are sent away to invite anyone and everyone whom they find, good or bad. And it all ends when the king comes waltzing through the party and sees a man who doesn't have a wedding garment on. And he throws him out. And the story ends with this scary line, Many are called, but few are chosen. So the feast is ready. It's one of the resounding lines I hear in this. The feast is ready, and it's so exciting to celebrate a feast of joy, is it not? Can you imagine playing some part in this story? Put yourself in the role of of the king. You coordinate this feast. And it all comes together, and it's time to celebrate with joy, and all you need are the guests. So you send out for them. But these blokes who send back the RSVP saying they're going to enjoy some prime rib on your account are not going to come after all. And worst of all, they rough up your friends who you sent out to call them to the feast. What gives? All the while, the feast is still ready, and the food's getting cold. So what do you do? Do you cancel the party? Do you change the plan? Are you more selective about a second-hand guest list? Or maybe, like the king of the story, you invite more people. Perhaps you do it as a nice thing. Or maybe you do it in order to show those other people how great of a time you actually had and what they missed out on. What about a different perspective? The feast is ready, but your hay needs to be baled and brought in from the field before the rain ruins it, because that's your crop for the year. The feast is ready, but you have to close that deal, or else your company goes into the red during this fourth quarter, and you can't afford that loss. See it from a different perspective still. The feast is ready. But you don't have a ticket to the best thing in town. You're an outsider and you don't have the status to get that. So you're walking home for another night of Netflix. (laughs) God, that doesn't just happen to me. (laughs) But wait, on your way, There's some dude who's shouting, the feast is ready and all are welcome. Come enjoy the feast. The feast is ready. I ask all of these questions because I suspect people who heard this parable from Jesus were trying to find themselves in the story. And as they listen, I imagine that, that for some... Anger was bubbling over in the hearts of a few while hope was filling the empty hearts of others. I've asked these questions because many people throughout history, faithful people, and smarter people than than me have tried to understand who each person in this parable is and what they represent. Above all, I believe that Jesus tells this story as a picture of his own ministry. Because in the very beginning, Jesus comes on the scene saying, The kingdom of heaven, of God, has come near, has come close to us, is present. And I feel like when he says that, he's saying, The feast is here and it's ready. Come to me and experience the joy the Father has prepared for you. Jesus' ministry was about going to all the places of Israel to speak to God's people in order that they might hear God's invitation into God's presence. Because a resounding point that Matthew is trying to get a point is, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. But this invitation from Jesus was often rejected and refused by some, particularly religious leadership, who thought that, that what they were and what they had been doing was all right. And so Jesus is offering in, in this invitation, but they're too busy. And they think they'd have it all right. And they, they think they don't need some advice from some traveling stump preacher who's trying to invite them to some other way. imagine that Jesus' heart hurt for them because their conceit is clouding their ability to recognize the importance of the moment standing right in front of them. Jesus is trying to overturn the tables of their minds and thinking but it doesn't work. And as they listened hatred is bubbling up within them. But in another sense, as I said, Jesus' words are hopeful, and they're filling the hearts of many, like food to a stomach at a rich feast. Jesus is like the messenger saying, come, come all, the feast is ready, and all are welcome. And anyone who is willing to come, come and enjoy the feast. And so the invitation is thrown wide open to the good and the bad. And Jesus says that the sinner and the saint are welcome to the feast and to this kingdom that he's preparing. Jesus is saying the feast is ready and it doesn't matter what you look like or what you've done. You are welcome to this feast. All that matters is that you come. And in this is the hopefulness that I hear in this parable that seems really harsh and hard to interpret. It's Jesus' wide invitation spoken to each of us wherever we might be on any given day. The feast is ready. Welcome in, you poor in spirit, you who are spiritually impoverished and hungering for something more in your life. You who have faith And you who doubt, you who have much and you have nothing to offer, you for whom nothing seems to be working these days. The feast is ready. Welcome, you who are filled with joy, and those who are filled with sadness. Welcome, you who celebrate a newborn and you who are staring death in the face or who have buried loved ones. Welcome in you whose life is full and who have lost much. Welcome you who are raising children and you who have buried children. Welcome you for whom many things have come together and you who cannot fall apart because you have to keep it together for everyone else. Welcome into this feast, you who are still not over that hurt, and you who have finally laughed again when you thought you never would. Welcome in the kid who sits alone at the lunch table the sex worker on the night shift, the migrants who do the jobs nobody else wants. Welcome in those parts of, of yourselves and ourselves that don't ever feel welcome anywhere else. Welcome in the gay and the straight. Welcome in the unemployed and the businessman who makes terrible decisions for the sake of other people. Welcome in the undocumented and the citizen, the foster kid, the trophy kid, and the special I kid. Welcome in you who have yet to forgive, you who need forgiveness, and you who have forgiven much. And I believe somehow that Jesus' welcome is so wide, he still holds out an invitation to those recalcitrant religious leaders should they ever come around. And so I believe Jesus holds an invitation for loved ones. Or you or I may wish would hunger to show up at the feast of God. There's this universal invitation to God and God's kingdom and to the house of God. And it's such a beautiful, wonderful thing. And it's wonderful that our God wants anyone and everyone there who wants to join this feast. And it's wonderful that we get to say to other people that this is our God who would take anyone and everyone. And this wide invitation surely fills my heart with hope. The feast is ready, and all are truly welcome. So Jesus, why did you add the part at the end? Why didn't you just stop there? Why did you go on about some dude in bad clothing? Because it's really cramping my style. Many people have spilt ink on this garment and what it represents. In that culture, there, there was this expectation that the king who would throw the feast would supply the wedding garments. And I think behind this parable is the assumption that if there was enough time and there was the, the ability for this person to show up decked out in proper attire. So when the friend asks him, friend, how did you get there? It represents that the guest did not care to honor the invitation the king had by dressing up. And maybe this doesn't jive with you because you're somebody that would show up to a wedding with a Hawaiian short and uh, cargo shorts and black socks and Birkenstocks on. And if you do want to see that, you can come to the talent show on August <laughs> April 6th. I think Ken might be doing that. Uh, and it actually looks quite good and dashing on him. But in all this, part of the passage points to the fact that while the, God, the gospel offers us hope filled with extravagant, wide invitation, there is also this this expectation, this demand, and this responsibility for us to take ownership of our own spiritual journey and life with God, in that we need to outfit ourselves well for the occasion. In Matthew, Jesus offers these words of comfort. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you, And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Again, an all-inclusive, universal invitation to find rest and life and joy in following Jesus. But what troubles me about this passage is that the yoke that Jesus took upon himself was a cross. And so I think what he does is he offers us a life-giving journey Shouldering that yoke with him when he says if anyone wants to follow me They must be willing to take up their cross and follow me One of the symbols we've been carrying around for lent is this cross And it can mean many things but one of the things that it means is this process of death to life Of dying to the old self and coming alive to the new And so I think That that that's kind of what this garment Represents It's about the shedding of the old self and the opportunity to put on a new one. Paul speaks about this in his letter to new Christians in Colossae. And he writes about the fact that we're already in Christ and that we're already following Jesus and that we've accepted this invitation to the feast. And so because of that, now that we're in Christ, now that we're at the feast, we need to put off the old self and put on the new. So hear hear these words from um, Paul's letter to the Christians in Colossae, chapter 3. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above and not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, Then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. And on account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things anger and wrath and malice and slander, abusive language from your mouth. And do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self and its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free. But Christ is all and in all. But as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility and meekness and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. But above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through the Father through Him. A few years ago, I did a a, a wedding on Good Friday, and it was actually Nancy LaPietro and Bob LaPietro's wedding. A day on which we remember uh, Christ was crucified, and it might be a, an odd day to have a wedding but I think it actually was quite great and meaningful because, if anything, what I hear from people who are married is that in marriage we learn how selfish we are. In marriage, we we might learn that we need to become more humble and patient and kind and forgiving and loving. And if we choose not to learn and work on these things, that relationship we've entered into will not be as fruitful as perhaps it could be. And so in the same way that I think I think what's going on in this story is that Jesus is inviting us into a wonderful thing. But if we we refuse to allow the cross and allow this movement from the old to the new self to shape our lives, then we will not be enjoying the fruit of that feast that God invites us into as plentifully. God invites us to join the feast, for it is ready. But the question is, what shall we wear? And so I offer you these words that I offered my sister on her wedding day. It's kind of what uh, Teresa was saying. May you be as intentional in your day about how you clothe your heart, your mind, your soul, your everything, as you are about how you outfit yourself with clothes for work or for play or for important occasions. Make sure you take off the outfit of the old self and put on the new clothes God gives you in Christ. And if nothing else, may this give you hope that God is like a friend or a parent who sits there helping you figure it out as you're trying to figure out the outfit for that special occasion. God wants us to succeed and to grow and to flourish. And so remember that the same one who invites you to the feast will guide you by the power of the Holy Spirit to grow into his likeness as well. Let's pray. Lord our God, we give you thanks for all you've done, the ways you come to invite us into, into the Father's presence, but also the ways that you come to us, inviting us to become beautiful images and reflections of you. And so I pray your Holy Spirit would guide us into that good work day by day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.